2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Well,
3: there, looks get better
2: This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining the show. In today's episode. James, Elliot and Paul discussed our wonderful victory at Old Trafford against Manchester United and it was a wonderful victory. One that we haven't seen for many years over there. And It's about time too. I thought we went into the game really positive. Both committed, right attitude on the ball, attacked them, closed them down. It was just the performance you wanted to see from us. Yeah, before the game I was quite confident that we would actually do get a result over there. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm always confident about a result and I don't re- realise it but what tends to happen, or appears to happen, is that before a big match, Arsenal fan base as a collective are either really confident or really negative about a result. Like the Monaco game, for example. Everyone was certain we were going to win. I was certain we are going to win. And we lost. Obviously, this is a lot of rubbish, but that's just the feeling I picked up on. Everyone, everyone, almost everybody that I read or heard or spoke to, were like, you know, we've got a poor record over there. We're not going to win. We're going to lose. We're going to go out. Everyone was saying, it. I thought, why is everyone so certain we're going to lose the game? When they're rubbish, and really, they're point behind us. They've been sneaking results every week. I thought, if we're going to beat them away, this is our time to do it. Um, and yeah, we were really focused, and it was really good to see. Really, I, I haven't been that excited after a game for a while. I just thought we played really well. We deserved everything we got. I was was very shocked about our lineup there before the game, though, I must admit. Didn't expect Giroud to be left out on the, of the team. Since he's come back, not only has he been scoring goals, apart from the Monaco game, he's played really well for the team. You know, he's worked hard, he's been a focal point, he's linked the team together, and I expected him to start. Especially when you think about the aerial power of uh, Fellaini from Set Pieces. That would have been a concern. That was my concern before the game when I saw the team out without Giroud. But it didn't matter, did it? The way we dealt with Fellaini was, was fantastic. I mean, everyone, from Coz from to Murtsaka. As well, I thought we dealt with him really well. Peter in the air and won practically all of his knockdowns. Um, fantastic. And in in the second half, after they went 2 1 down, all I did was play long to Flaney and he got no joy. He might have won the first ball from occasions, but he couldn't keep the ball, he couldn't direct it to his players because we defended it really well. Almost like we've planned it in advance. You see, it does happen, you just have to keep an eye on it for it. Yeah, and um, Danny Welbeck starting as a striker, which, which was a bit of a shock. Not only not only him starting in the team, which I kind of hoped he would before kickoff. but when he has started in the team, he's played wide left and Alexis has played up front, which he's not been playing. But he went back to a centre-forward position, which was a surprise. He didn't have his best game, overall game. His touch wasn't at his best. Um, he didn't link the play as well as he could do. He hasn't played for a while. He's play the odd game here and there if you're off the bench, but you know you can't get to your back to your best without playing a run of games. Maybe it was that, maybe it was being back at Old Trafford. I don't know. But what Welbeck does give you, and what I do love about Welbeck, I really love love about Welbeck is the amount of work rate he gives the team. He's fight, and, and the thing is, it doesn't matter if it's Man United, Swansea, um, Burnley away, Burnley at home. I mean, he gives the same amount of commitment every game, every time he's on the pitch. And that is that's great to see, and that, that's why for me, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but I wouldn't be upset if he was if he was first choice every week because of that reason. It helps the team, it really helps the team. He's got to work on his finishing though, and he, and he's um he's a bit of quality in the final third when he really needs it. He doesn't always have that. He might get it, he might not. But what he does always have, as I said, it is his fight, and I do love that. And it's it's that fight that wins that gets him goals or assists. Like against Crystal Palace. Not too long ago, Giroud's pass to him was poor. It was, really, it was a really bad pass. Most players would have seen Giroud's pass, sail over their heads and thought, I can't get that now. Finn's got it. Um, and just leave it and just jog towards the player or stand off or throw their arms in the air. Theo Walker, for example, I don't want to single him out. You know, what he does is fantastic when he's on his game and does what he does. But, but he's he's a perfect example of a player who will not get the ball exactly where he wants it and then, um, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll do the same. He'll just he'll jog over to the player and then it'll be, get played out and, that, and then nothing happens. But Welbeck, that's not his mentality. If it's a 50-50 or a 40-60, he, he goes for it. And he spins after the player and he tries to make a challenge or a block or pressure him. And he does it all the time. And that's what got got us our, our winner in the end. He was the player who forced Valencia into the mistake in the first place. Closed him down. Valencia's poor back pass. The thing is, as I said earlier as well, I mean, it it was a short back pass, but it wasn't that short. Think about it. There wasn't much in the race between their keeper and Danny Welbeck. Yeah, he sprinted after it. Got there first. Poked it around the keeper. Open goal. 2-1. And the winner. So Thank you, Danny boy. And a great celebration, wasn't it? Such emotion and passion from him as well. Lovely to see. And we are through now. And uh, obviously, after, after the match, we got the draw. Bradford or Reading or Wembley? I'll take that. I'll snatch that right out of your hand. Anyone's hand. Yeah, if we play to our best or, you know, play at a good level, we can get to the final. Long way to go because we've got a good chance of facing Liverpool if we get to the final. and They are the form team of the Premier League. So, can't be overconfident of winning any trophies just yet. It's far too early. We've got two games to go in this competition. Um, if we do get through, then possibly very, very tough game in the final. They get through Blackburn, which I think they probably will do. So yeah, but let's just enjoy this while we can. It's very enjoyable. But I must say, I don't want to take anything away from us at all because we were magnificent. But Man United, my God, weren't they poor? They're really, really bad. I just thought they had a really bad game on the night. But after the match finished, I was listening to a um, well-known radio station. And there's a lot of Man United fans phoning in saying, the best we've played in a while and blah, blah, blah. And I heard it a few times thought, well, Really? The best you've played? Wow says something then, isn't it? Really? how about they put it behind us that's the best they've played for a while it's a bit of a con- I'll be concerned um, but yeah it's not my problem it's not my business Um, <clears throat> so anyway I've been rambling on for far too long now so anyway I'm going to um, shut my mouth now and head off into the distance smiling and skipping along and I'm going to hand you over to the guys to discuss the match take it easy and we'll be back after the next game come on on
1: Unprepared chokers come up flat in big game. But enough about Manchester United. Let's talk about Arsenal. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And if I sound delighted to be here, it is only because um, we just beat Manchester United at Old Trafford to knock them out of the FA Cup, and it feels like only yesterday. Yesterday, nine years ago, that we beat Manchester United at Old Trafford. But if you ignore the last nine years, it was literally yesterday that we did it. Um, I am joined by two gentlemen who will also be delighted to discuss this fine, fine example of association football. The first is James. You can find him at uh, Fanatic 49 And uh, James, I am sure you are delighted to be here.
4: Wembley, Wembley, we're the famous Arsenal, and we're going to Wembley.
1: Wembley, all right, yeah, okay. Sure, sure, sure. Good yellow evening, ribbon. boys. Yellow ribbon good on evening. The okay, uh, good evening to you. And as always, pausing in my pants on Twitter, Paul on the podcast. Paul, welcome in. Woohoo! Woohoo! And those of you who are fondling your microphones, please stop because it is driving me nuts. James, I'm looking at you. Admit it, James. You are fondling your microphone. I do love funding my microphone. Okay, well, we'll we're going we're gonna to kick on anyway. Uh, it is a famous victory, a famous victory for the famous Arsenal that sends us back to Wembley, back to a semifinal, and back to a semifinal against lower division opposition, which we handled with no problems at all whatsoever last season, so I'm sure we will handle it with the same aplomb or similar aplomb this season. But the big news, of course, is beating United at Old Trafford for the first time in nine years, winning a game, uh, in a big moment when it was really needed. Salvaged our season, I think you could say, but we'll come on to that a little bit later. Let's start first with the lineups. Um, there was no Olivier Giroud. That was probably the big surprise. Welbeck started instead. Uh, we'll start with you, Paul. How surprised were you by the lineup, and in particular the omission of Olivier Giroud, and what do you think was the cause of that? Simply rest and rotation, the psychological lift for Welbeck. What What did you think when you saw the starting eleven?
5: Uh, well I absolutely didn't see that coming I wish I would have been sure Olivier was starting I mean Arsene talked a week or two ago about you know how Olivier can only play through the middle and everybody else will have to fit around him and the tone of it was very much that we put Olivier on the starting 11 and then work out who will fit around him maybe that's an overstatement but certainly it, it led me to that kind of confidence and based on his recent performances but I think psychological. I mean Arson told um Wellbeck late by all accounts, by his own account, and he used the word psychologically as one of the two reasons. Uh our fast paced pressing and harassing was, was maybe the other reason I think he spelled out there. But the fact that he left it late and he even said he didn't know till late that Wellbeck would be starting makes me think that Arson went back and forward quite quite a few times in his own mind, deciding which way he would go. I think the other really interesting thing was it was really nice to see that combination of Welbeck and Giro coming on and the different attributes they brought in different parts of the game kind of ups our tactical kind of options uh, uh, based on that success, that template going forward. That was a really nice piece to carry forward, but... Mm-hmm. you know there's loads to talk about in the, that overall lineup i thought that was one particular thing that surprised me and there were a couple of other ones
1: um all right well we'll come to those in a moment uh james as for you uh surprised to see welbeck start and what do you think he gave us that maybe we would not have had an olivier that may have turned the match other than of course the match winning goal
4: um yes i was slightly surprised to see danny i prior to the game my prediction was that Olivier would start up top with Ozil and Sanchez either side of him and Ramsey coming in alongside Coquelin and Santi playing at um the ten roll. So um but the you know the back four was as I'd expected and certainly with Wojciech in goal. I mean l- listen the luxury we have now of the squad is despite the three changes, so Alex came in at right wing, Santi came back and played the ram- the sort of the deeper line midfield role, um, and obviously well back up front. But ultimately even when you see that lineup, the difference between the, the those two elevens is, you know, is minuscule. And I think what Danny brought to the team was aside from, you know, obviously the psychological component of, of coming up against an old side, but on top of that, you know, with a manager who had, you know, made some fairly underhand comments towards Danny, basically suggesting that he wasn't good enough for United. Um, it gave him that extra impetus to um, to go on and score what ultimately became the winning goal and write a quite remarkable script. But you know, it, it does tend to be the case that players coming back against their old side, and unfortunately, we've seen it far too often. Um, you know, for the other way around, that those types of players do come up and uh, and score big goals. And I'm, you know, I, th- I think the psychological component definitely plays a big role. But from an actual, um. You know, qualitative side of things. I think what Danny brought to us was just that work ethic, which I think that Olivier does bring too. But that that pace alongside Alexis and of course Alex, the three of them, they really harass that back four and they put them under pressure a lot. United were constantly forced to play the ball back to De Gea um, and force them to play a, a, a slightly more negative brand of football, I think. Um, and we we really pressured them early on, especially away from home. I think that really sort of set the tempo for the game. Um, and I think that made a, that had a huge impact on the way in which the, get, um, the game played out because we 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 made it very difficult for the United back four to get the ball to the midfield. And we saw that Herrera was taken off for Carrick, I think, to slightly aid that. And Jones came in at centre-back. And ultimately, the goal that they conceded, which was extremely sloppy, came to them, again, um, forced to play it backwards towards De Gea. It was a poor, 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 poor ball from Valencia. And, of course, it was that guy that ended up uh, slotting it into the back of the net.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, I thought our pressing in their half was so crucial to how the game played out, and I thought that it it prohibited them from playing the ball through the midfield, um, building up their attacks from back to front. It reduced them to a lot of long ball and wide play, which we handled relatively comfortably. Um, And, you know, that's the thing that I think we've missed. The energy of Welbeck, Ox, and Alexis up front means you can really... Harry and, and press with just your front three. And then if Mesut Ozil isn't giving that as much and, you know, uh, uh, Cazorla isn't giving that as much, you still have the energy, the enthusiasm, the work rate, the the uh, desire to press just from your front three. And so much of what we did that worked against United I thought came from dispossessing them, turning the ball over and creating short counterattacks and transition play. Um, the game started out... It was a great cup tie, right? I mean, it had good energy. Mm -hmm. Both teams seemed to be going for it. Um, As the game settled into a rhythm, I thought that we were on top early. They did get in behind on a few occasions, but by and large, it didn't look like they were going to be able to play their way through us. Paul, do you think we showed more confidence in this game than you've seen us have in big games recently? And if so, what do you attribute that to?
5: Absolutely, we showed more confidence. I mean, it was, as the word goes, it was palpable. Um, I think coming back to, to me, two key players, you, you could go across our 11 and say there were well, there was really nobody who didn't play well. You know, even coming back to somebody I and many have been critical of recently, I mean, Per Mertesacker had a really strong game. It was maybe a game that suited him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But there was a strength there at the back that we've had and lost for, at different times during the game, so but I think to me, the big driver was the energy that this team really wanted it, that there was a confidence there. and to me, the leaders in that maybe the upgrades to where we have seen those performances before, Kakala was absolute it wasn't as cleanest, tidiest, maybe even uh, best technical. Performance, but this was a day to be com- combative and to show we weren't going to back down and we weren't going to take no shit. Mm-hmm. And between him and Mertesacker, uh, pushing back, harrying, um, uh, containing Fellaini, um, and our midfield three, I thought was was clearly key. And I think Van Gal agrees. Van Hal agrees with your summary of that first half. By swapping out Herrera, who was actually, you know, possibly their most dangerous player in that first half, but they were just losing that midfield battle. So I think between that front three, Welbeck and Coquelin in particular were the upgrades for me in terms of energy and passion and fight and doing to United what they've always tried to do to us over the, very successfully over the last decade, which is allow us to have the ball, but then.
1: Mm-hmm. Intercept. Well, I'm going to jump in because I can no longer hear you, Paul. I will assume that what we are missing right now is the finest example of analysis in the history of Arsenal Football Club. Uh, James, are you still there? I
4: can now hear you. Yes, you can hear me. Okay.
1: Paul, on the other hand, Paul Spoken. is is literally gone. Um, but we're going to bring Paul back in. Have no fear. Uh, While we are bringing Paul back in, what we are going to do is we are going to send it over to you, James. And what I wanted to ask you is, is this a case of the king is dead, long live the king? And what I mean by that is, once again, our past success rate was 74%. We had 42% possession. Those are not numbers you would traditionally associate with Arsenal victory. But increasingly... Those are the numbers we're seeing. And some of that, I think, is due to Arteta not being in midfield, having players who want to dribble more than they want to play short passing, like Oxlade-Chamberlain, like uh, Alexis Sanchez. But it certainly seems like when we've won the big games this year, not that there are huge examples of that, but on the examples where we have, that's been the recipe for success. Is this the new Arsenal way? More counterattacking, less possession, less... um, careful, controlled passing and, and more higher risk, higher reward passing as we counterattack through the midfield?
4: I'd be cautious to use the word new because that requires some context. I don't think this is something that Wenger's never implemented before. In fact, I think he's he's used this type of approach on several occasions in the past. I just think he now actually has the capabilities to actually implement it properly. Um, Let me ask you
1: this. Is it driven by the manager's philosophy or is it driven by the personnel? What I mean by that is if we had Arteta and if Sanchez wasn't in there dribbling six, seven, eight times a game, would we be more back to what we consider traditional style? Is this coming from the manager or is this something he almost has to do and we have to do because of the personnel?
4: Um, Well, I think it has to come from the manager because the manager is the one that, that creates the squad and sets up the way in which... Um, the team on an, on any given day is it is about to go it goes about its business. Um, sure, maybe if an Arteta is, is available, does that alter the way we approach a game slightly? Perhaps I don't I don't think that one change necessarily completely alters the complexion of of the way that we set ourselves up. Though um, I think it ultimately comes down to us, and I think we do tend to see in these big games, perhaps you know I, I think he's always for the most part being somewhat pragmatic in these in these bigger games when there's a lot more riding on a uh, fixture perhaps he's been even more so this season certainly what we've seen the city away game um, to a certain degree the liverpool away game because we albeit we were dominated throughout we we came away with a point rather than coming away 5 5 goals to one down um, even the chelsea game where we lost 2-0 we we try to be more pragmatic, Chelsea were just the better side. Um, you know the problem with it as well though is of course, you can look to the Spurs game where perhaps you'd like to think Spurs would have a you know somewhat of an inferiority complex when playing us, or perhaps we should have a superiority complex in that you would like to see us against that kind of team dominate. but so it's a fine line sometimes, and I certainly do think that um, this more pragmatic counter-attacking, will, willingness to concede possession um, and to control the game without the ball um, is something we've, we've, we've improved on vastly from, um, you know, perhaps vastly is a slight exaggeration, but we certainly improved on it from last season. And I think it's been a big contributor to these, these away games and certainly something that's important to implement in these types of knockout uh, competitions. Um, and it does, you know... It, it, Unfortunately, in, in that, it does make you hark back to the Monaco game and does make you wish that perhaps we'd taken, not necessarily, you know, especially at home, but perhaps, you know, tempered in the the way in which we approach that game slightly. But yes, I, going back to your initial, original question, I do think that the, that counter-attacking style, that ability to concede possession, to allow a United who, let's not, you know, who based on that performance, they, A, they looked... They looked tetchy, they looked nervy, they weren't great with the ball. I mean, they had a lot of they had a lot of possession. I think a lot of that comes down to the way in which we harassed and harried them um and how solid and compact we were and combative at the back. But they didn't really cause us as much trouble as say Spurs did when we went away to their place or Liverpool did. They didn't bring that as much pace and verve about them uh, both on and off the ball. So I think that certainly helped the way in which we went about our business. Um,
1: it's funny too because I think ordinarily if you win at Old Trafford you're going to be pointing to sort of a heroic defensive effort and and a lot of your top players in the game are going to be defenders for the work they did you know making last ditch tackles or crucial interceptions or blocking shots I I don't think that was the case I mean United did get in behind a couple of times but by and large they just didn't seem to carry the threat Um, it was a strange game because it was fairly open but they they never felt incredibly threatening um you know i i live in constant fear of what arsenal can do to itself shooting itself in the foot hip knee head whatever but uh it never really felt like that impending doom was hanging over us uh even despite letting them get back to 1-1 paul let, let's just cover the uh, the go ahead i'm sorry
5: i was just going to say especially in the second half where you thought it would ramp up they were more dangerous in the first half i mean they practically no shots on goal in the second half yeah so although although we scored in the first half and it was nullified quickly after i think that was a key goal and a key moment that turned the tie you know i'm looking at those pictures of the guys celebrating with a certain sadness in my eye as nachos in the air knowing that two minutes later we were going to concede but i think what it showed van hal was that you know they were there for the taking, and we were there to take them. And he got nervous, and he panicked, and he did his. You know, our manager tends to trust the players uh, ahead of tacticking, whereas Van Hal trusts himself more than his players. So halftime. Now I think Shaw was injured, but he yanks off two players at halftime to make the big Van Hal substitute substitution, and made them less potent in the second half and uh but even in the first half i think we did enough to scare them and we got the first goal and we shouldn't have conceded our their goal so Mm -hmm. uh, i think that was a really big moment in the bigger scheme even if they got it back to one one very quickly
1: well the manager alluded to that i mean he said we were disappointed Mm -hmm. at halftime to to be one one and we felt that we should be ahead and that we were the better side so I, i tend to agree with you i think that first goal i mean it was, was a weight off our shoulders in a way because I think it showed mm. us that we could break them down. We, we could get in behind them and, and score. And it was a beautifully worked goal, worked down the left side. Ozil's pass may have sold Oxley chamberlain short, but what he did from there was mm. nothing short of sensational. Paul, what did you think of um, Oxley chamberlain in the 50 minutes he was on the pitch and, and that cameo of Maisie dribbling to set up Mon- uh, Monreal for the goal?
5: He was great. You know, when I first saw the lineup, I was still trying to compute what were the chances that he'd be part of that kind of double pivot uh, with Coquelin midfield um, as I was trying to work out how they'd all lined up. But there he was up front, harassing, working, his Maisie runs. I mean, he did a few of those. um, But I do think you can't separate out his performance from that of Ozil, Alexis, uh Welbeck and the Ox it all just worked together as it did in that move where Monreal uh clinically put away that goal. So cool he, didn't yeah. it did, that wasn't it didn't it feel like maybe not slow motion but like three quarters pace? It's like he saw where he wanted to put it and like a like a finisher he put it away. Uh,
1: it was crazy. It uh, reminded me almost of like a Thierry Henry finish. It was just passed right in yeah. around the keeper and you know comfortable Slot home or, or Perez or something because he, he didn't panic and De Gea was left. I mean, it was the only time in the match when De Gea really, you know, mm. couldn't get to a shot. He he had a brilliant game. We'll come to that in a moment. But, um, you know, yeah. one, one of the things that I think, you know, we, we mentioned already, but it, it really set the tone for me was the the energy with which we pressed them in their half. And we really got at them by getting the ball off them in their half or – forcing them into rush decisions on the ball in their half. James, when you have Oxlade-Chamberlain, Welbeck, and Alexis up front, we talked about this, you have that energy to press. You know, in the debate of Welbeck versus Giroud, there's really no debating Giroud's clinical finishing this season. He's He's been excellent finishing this season. But all the other things Welbeck gives you, the ability to press harder, chase down faster, get on loose balls quicker, get past the back line do we have a greater dynamism with Welbeck in there and is that dynamism critically important to this new way of playing given that we're not possessing the ball as much and therefore we don't may may not need a a fulcrum around which the attack pivots but more a dynamic energetic work rate player Do, do you think this style of play lends itself maybe better to Welbeck playing center forward more regularly
4: um. Well, his style of play is certainly more dynamic, and it adds, adds a different dimension to the way in which we can utilize that front three. That's a certainty. Um, I think it's, um, it's a weapon that can be used in certain types of games. I, you know, you would imagine it. It makes certainly theoretically. A lot of sense to, to play that type of style of game um, against, you know, like last night, big teams away from home, where we're likely to concede more, more of the ball, look to harass and harry the defenders, as, you know, and the opposition as much as possible, and look to um, hit them on quick counter with quick counter attacking football. That being said, um, I think I think Olivier does bring a. You know, he he's still a player that puts in a significant shift like Danny. Um, he does a lot of the things that Danny does from a defensive point of view, but with a little less pace, um, or a lot less pace. Even. Yeah, I, I was going to take issue <laughs> issue
1: with the word little there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Substantially um, less pace, yeah. But... I mean, he, he Giroud, be, listen, Giroud but, doesn't score well, the goal, Welbeck does. Sure, uh, pr-
4: probably not, but that then again... Yeah, it's easy to make that comparison, isn't it? But ultimately, I don't think that, you know, Danny had a particularly great first half. And, you know, perhaps that was part of the psychological component that you could attribute that to. I mean, his touch was a little loose... Um, his link-up play wasn't as strong as it normally is. Um, and, I you know, agree. He, he, but, he's, but... he's into the second half. But, you know, that that was my opinion certainly of the first half. Mm-hmm. And you could see Danny. I thought I think he got taken off also for Olivier because he, at least from where I was, you know, well, <laughs> sitting watching the TV, he looked like he was absolutely knackered. Um, and that was a testament to just how much how much of a shift he did put in. But I do think, as much as Danny does bring that, you know, we. You see, him, he's extremely quick. He's extremely athletic. I'm still not entirely convinced if he often makes the right kind of runs. Or perhaps last night there were a couple of times where he could have been picked out and he wasn't. Um, we don't, you know, outside of that goal, there weren't. Have I mean, can you name an occasion in which we we played him through in behind goal or where he, you know, where he runs on the back of the back four and he, he's constantly looking to make that type of run in behind? I'm not. I'm just not sure if he's although he has the capabilities of doing it at this moment right now, I I don't see him as being a striker that consistently is able to get into those positions um, and, and currently has the know-how. Or even, frankly, for the most part, I don't think he's anyone as strong a finisher as, as
1: Giroud. No, so, clearly that's that's the area where, where Giroud has, has the advantage right now. But just one year ago, we would have been saying Giroud needs to start finishing his chances. Yeah, but um, then again,
4: I do think Giroud's athleticism in the air and his link-up play is a lot stronger. And I think that's actually one of the components of Giroud's play that I appreciate the most. Um, and I think that's probably something we look to use far more against teams in which certainly teams either A at home teams, weaker teams. or smaller teams. Yes. Weaker teams, but also big teams at home, I'd imagine. Um, when we're more likely to try and um, control the possession of the game and control the the tempo of the game. It's a fascinating so,
1: debate, James, because I I, th- I think – What we're basically saying is, if the new style of play, especially in big games and big away games, is less of the ball, more harrying and pressing in the opposition half, more quick transition from defending to attacking, then Giroud's touch and physicality and hold-up play becomes a little bit less valuable, and Welbeck's pacey pressurizing ability to run in behind ability to create havoc with his pace and dynamism starts to become maybe more of an asset. I mean, it's, it's something we'll see play out down the road. I I think the, the, the best way to sort of summarize it is to say it's great to have two center forwards who bring different dynamics to the team and given his age and and relative inexperience, I think Welbeck will only continue to improve. Uh, Real quick though, Paul, your thoughts on what Welbeck contributed from the center forward position and and, You know, whether that change in dynamic was critical to our, you'd have to say, improved performance against United.
5: Sure. Well, you know, I take a little issue with James's view on his first half.
1: Yeah, me too, by the way. But
5: it was very much my view when I watched.
1: Hey, Paul, are you still there?
5: I am, yeah. Can
1: you hear me? Just for all the listeners, I'm on the brink of pushing stop on the record button so that you don't have to bear your way through this. But we're going to do this live on tape to reduce the amount of editing that has to be done by our silent editor. Um, So how are you feeling about your Internet signal at this time, Paul?
5: Great. You're feeling great about it? Yeah.
1: Okay, bang on. (laughs) Let's do it.
5: Um, Right. So... With Welbeck, I think the issue with him in the first half was certainly his touch going forward and attacking. But I thought his contribution to breaking up their play and uh, regaining possession for us was crucial. I thought he actually ended up having a really good first half or an important first half. I think you could have played Giroud or Welbeck. Yesterday, there's arguments for why either one of them ha- would have worked well, but Welbeck certainly came out with a huge amount of credit going forward as a potential center forward selection for future games. And my feeling on the substitution for Welbeck was more that uh, Arson wanted to bring Giroud on for those to close out the game with whatever about 20 minutes to go because he expected we were going to get bombarded with long balls into Fellaini uh, set pieces, et cetera, and you wanted to zero on the field for that and as an outman for clearances upfield. That was kind of my feeling on the balance between who played when and why. I thought it was a really nice use of the two center forwards on, on the day.
1: Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I mean, I've heard people be critical of Welbeck's contribution, particularly in the first half, and I disagree only because uh, some of the things he did on the ball didn't come off for him, but everything he was doing without the ball was so crucial to why we were having success. Um, his running, his pressure, his energy. And there was one moment where Ozil nearly slipped him through uh, behind the back four and he just got it caught in his feet. Otherwise he would have been in. Um, I think, I think he is a player who gives us a totally different way of playing and, you know, not to be redundant, but if we're going to have less possession and less pass accuracy and play higher, risk lower um you know less conservative football so to speak in some ways then i i think he gives us a, a fantastic uh option one of the things we have to discuss in analyzing this match is the performance of the referee and it, look it's impossible for three arsenal fans doing an arsenal podcast to sit here and be unbiased and objective but let's try to be as unbiased and objective as we can be and, and the way i want to look at it is this way I'm going to ask you guys about individual decisions. And I'm going to ask you, and then I'll I'll give you both an opportunity to expand. But I want one word, yes or no answers. I'm going to give you an incident, and I want you to each tell me if you thought the referee got it right. Okay? And then we'll expand on it a little bit, if that works for both of you. Sure. Good, great. I'm excited about this. Um, As a we. You sound it. You sound excited. I'm trying to kill all your enthusiasm for doing a podcast post-Manchester United away victory. Um, so, all right. <laughs> a- and, and we're going to just do the big incidents, okay, because, I mean, obviously we could go over every little niggly Fellaini foul, and we'll dive into that when we go into it in more depth. But we're going to go over the big incidents. So first things first, um, I'm just going to do them in the order that I remember them. Um, the Angel Di Maria dive yellow card. Correct decision, yes or no, Paul?
5: Yes, I was amazed, but yes.
1: Yes. What about you, James?
5: Absolutely, yes.
1: I will say no, that it should not have been a yellow card there. Uh, or, Or certainly, I wouldn't have expected it to be. The red card decision, Paul, obviously yes. Hands on the referee?
5: Yes, amazed, but yes.
1: James? Yes. Okay. Janet, uh, Adnan Yanazai dive, correctly called? Bob? Yes.
5: James? Yes, amazed, but
1: yes.
4: Yeah, yes. I mean, that dive was an absolute abomination, by the way.
1: Totally agree. Uh, that was totally an agree. absolute disgrace of a dive. And you know what's funny about that dive? If he stays on his feet there, we're in real mm. trouble. Real right, exactly, trouble. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, you know, I thought there was a huge praise for Montreal in this match, but he did get beat quite a few times. And the goal aside... On the ball, his defending wasn't fantastic. Um, he, he did get beat. And Yanez, I did him a favor by falling down there. And then one one more decision. Bellerin's second yellow not given. Correct or incorrect, Paul?
5: Tough one because I think he made a decision based on the game. So at another point... In that game, I think he would have given a second yellow and he would have been off. So my, my feeling is for the sake of the game, I thought uh, – this isn't me being unbiased, trust me. Um, I, I understand why he made that decision. It would have been a soft, slightly soft yellow that would have changed the game.
1: Yes. I, yeah, the absolute. Okay, so what, what about you, James? That decision not to give a yellow there. You agree yeah. with it, or you think we got away with one?
4: um well, Paul put it very well. I think if you look at that foul in a vacuum, it probably it certainly could warrant a yellow, but if I recall correctly, Bellerin having picked up a yellow card in the second minute of the game, that was his second foul. so to have gone an entire match to pick up you know to commit two fouls and pick up two yellow cards in itself would have been harsh for what was a what would have been a some, you know, albeit somewhat warranted yellow card, a, a soft one to give. So I can understand why the ref didn't give it.
1: Yeah, I, I would say this. If I were a United fan, the only call that I'd be outraged by is that one. Um, I think there are a lot of other referees that give that as a sending off. Um, and I think Bellerin was very, very fortunate. Yep. Um, having said that, I think Fellaini could have been off after about 15 minutes. Um, You know, for some reason or another, when he commits fouls that are yellow cards for other players, they're just not yellow cards for him. Um, and I don't know if that's just the size of his body. The referee thinks there's nothing he can do about it, but he is a niggly, fouling son of a bitch, and he just gets away with it. I mean, I don't want to harp on referees too much because they've been a point of discussion everywhere all season too much, but... I said I'd offer you the chance to expand. So James quickly, any other thoughts about the refereeing? I mean, other than the calls we went into, would you say you could understand why opposition fans might be annoyed, but overall just a perfectly fine refereeing performance?
4: Yeah. I mean, of course I can understand you know, for an opposition fans after a loss like that. Um, and perhaps the shock of actually having a referee that put in a somewhat honest performance, um, but yeah, I mean, look, there's always contentious decisions and there are decisions that you can, like the Bellerin one, where you can argue it both ways. Um, I just, and I'll, I'll also qualify pretty well any of my statements regarding the match, that I was sufficiently inebriated and had a heart rate that was sufficiently high enough for me to not perhaps recall every single refereeing decision that was made. <laughs> um, I mean, there was, well, there was like a penalty shout that we had that I didn't didn't think was ever going to be given, Um but I do vividly remember... It, it was a stadium, penalty
1: shot, by the way, for Welbeck, who had gotten in behind and got pulled back over the shoulder. It got kind of pulled here. back but down. It was, yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty soft, soft pull, soft. yeah.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I vividly remember shouting at the TV screen on numerous occasions, you know, using pleasant language, no doubt, um, directed towards the referee regarding the number of fouls that Fellaini had committed throughout the entire game. I think you put that quite well, actually, in that perhaps because of the size of the player the type of fallacy commits that if if another player say like a bellarin in particular did the exact same thing they probably wouldn't bring the opposition player down or they probably wouldn't they they probably would have zero impact upon um the state of the play but just b- because Fellaini is so big i mean he just it doesn't take much for him to um knock others over and i think he he, he knowingly uses that to his advantage so i think that's quite sneaky of him um you know, I mean I think the referee for the most part had a very solid game, but perhaps because I'm seeing it through um red tinted Arsenal glasses. But um I was very happy with the with the way in which the um referee dealt with the match and I think um to be fair to him, he had a like I said earlier, he had he had a very honest performance and I think he stuck true to his guns.
1: Yeah. I think that's spot on. Um I'll tell you this much. If I were a United fan, and God, that's just a horrible nightmare scenario, but if I were, um <laughs> I think I'd be furious with Di Maria and Yanizai because even those, those, though those were two huge calls, Di Maria is the reason I said I don't necessarily think that should be a yellow. Is there was enough contact that even though he went down easily, I think giving him a card for diving is a bit too far. I think it's a no call, but I mean, I certainly mm. don't think it's a foul. But I think it can be a case where it's not enough contact to warrant a, a foul, but not a dive enough to warrant a card. but I, you know I, I think it's close, but the point is, I'd be furious with Yanazai and Di Maria because Di Maria put his hands on the ref and sent them down to 10 men. And Yanazai from a position that would have had us in huge trouble, you know, four yards out on the right wing, you know at the at the end line, instead he just flings himself to the ground. Um, so yeah, I think that was, those are two cases where you can be mad at the ref, but your players let you down. Paul, I mean, final thoughts on the referee?
5: Yeah, if I were a United fan, I'd be furious at those guys too, except that's the kind of shit they've done for the last 10 years, and it's got them penalties, and it's got them results, so... You know, this is a whole new world for Manchester United supporters. They're used to having a manager who has referees on speed dial, on his cell phone, talks to them before games, after games, banishes referees to lower divisions, saves referees from the clutches of other big clubs who are beating them up. You know, this is very disorienting for them. So can I understand opposition fans being up
1: a- Yeah, to to be fair,
5: upset with the
1: To to be fair, the players who flung themselves to the ground in this case made the mistake of not being English. So you got to factor that in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I want to reiterate uh, to everyone listening, uh, because Paul probably doesn't know this. I am not interrupting you, Paul. I am speaking when your internet cuts out to avoid excessive dead air. So apologies if it appears to you as though I'm interrupting you. Um, but to the fine listener, uh, they will hear just an elegantly produced podcast as ever. Um, let's kind of move on to towards the end of the game. We held out. We got the victory. I, I want to kind of cover what the ramifications are from this match because obviously this is the kind of win that we desperately needed, and it is, it is the kind of win that we haven't had in a long time. You could argue that beating Manchester City was was similar but I think considering that the league position we're in is really just another race for 4th um you know I I don't know how massive it is but this this win means silverware is still potentially on the cards this win is eliminating United from their only hope of silverware um at Old Trafford so it is just such a massive victory for so many reasons uh Paul stay with you for a second let me ask you this Bigger win for the players, bigger win for the manager, or bigger win for the supporters?
5: Uh, Really good question, and I don't have an answer for that because I actually composed a tweet along those lines uh, an hour or two ago, and I was thinking about it. Uh, It's huge across the board for, for, you know, what I can say is for for the players it's huge at this particular moment. They needed to be able to prove to themselves as a group that they could take down City, that they could take down United, so that they're ready to take down Chelsea. So I think it was absolutely huge. I think it was huge for Wenger. You know, I could give you a long explanation why, apart from A, you already know and B, you all saw that huge smile to himself, not mm. to the rest of the world that he held and held as he walked off that pitch. Um, So, you know, big deal for our season, big deal for, and then for the supporters. I mean, you know, if you go across the spectrum, apart from the most ludicrous kind of wing of our supporters, whether you're for, unsure, or against the manager, this is what we've all been crying out Mm -hmm. for this team and this manager to be able to produce against a team, this isn't United at their best. We expected our club to be able to go and get a result. Maybe not every game, maybe not every season, but some seasons. And this was the season. This was the game. We came, we saw, we conquered. It was there to be had. We look, not only did we, we all said, we didn't care if we won badly or whatever it took. Well, we were the better team on the day. We held our head up high. We had the energy. We had the belief you know, great stuff across the board, very unifying. I think this is very, very healing. Now, it can all be flushed down the toilet pretty quickly after a few bad results, but this will give us some resilience going forward, some belief that, perform, you know, racking up points against smaller clubs or blah, 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 or even an easy FA Cup run through to the final wouldn't have done for us. This builds resilience within the the unity between managers, supporters, and, and that squad, that team, even if not all supporters are fully bought into the philosophy.
1: See, see I, that, that last point is the part that I totally agree with, because for me, beating Everton and QPR had done literally nothing, nothing, to dent my frustration over what happened against Monaco. This mm. hasn't erased it, but has gone a long way towards erasing it. Um, these are the kind of wins you need to make up for the kind of thing we saw against Monaco. And who knows? Maybe there's still another chapter to that story, although I'm not going to hold my breath. James, let me ask you that, though. Um, We beat City away, and in our next two big games, we got comprehensively outplayed by Spurs and lost away and then shit the bed against Monaco at home. Do you believe in turning corners where players and managers are concerned? Or is this more a case that Arsenal are a good team, with warts and flaws and we're going to we're in a period now where we're going to win the occasional big game but that doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to turn around and uh choke and lose the occasional big game or or do you believe this is really t- uh corner turned chance to really improve going forward
4: I don't really necessarily want to talk about corners being turned until when you look back on a season. That's fair. I think you can perhaps look at a change in mentality or a change in results as a result of one particular moment or or match per se in which you can perhaps hark back and and perhaps um, refer to it as a corner that was turned during the season. Um, It's a little... Um, it's a little too metaphorical and a little too um, substantiative now to refer to this United game as being a corner that was turned. Um, I think it's huge uh, away from having beaten a big side away from home. Which personally, I mean, I, I probably was one of not many, but I I I'd been pretty confident in the quality of this side since about you know I, I'd said it was around early February, late January when we. Really, start to be a team that was capable of doing that, and it was shown by City. So, I, I personally didn't think the small sample size of a, a Spurs away. I think that Monaco home game that was. I think that the way in which you went about it. I mean, that was. I think that was a different matter entirely. I don't think that demonstrated that we're incapable of of beating those types of teams or, or, or beating big teams as such. I think it was just an absolute. Um, <laughs> it was just it, it was a disaster for several other reasons that I'm not going to go into, but. Um, I'm not sure that this... that I am I personally did not think that we could we could win a game like this prior to the United victory. But I do think it has now given us... A, it's removed that kind of inferiority complex we've had for so long going... A, especially going to Old Trafford, but, you know, just play against United in general. And I think that in itself gives a huge boost because my biggest fear going into this game was perhaps this mental block that we have. There's just... It, amongst the fan base you can tell certainly with me who I you know I tend to try and be quite positive I genuinely hadn't even really considered an Arsenal victory last night although without a doubt I I, I would would have told you before the game or throughout the season that we're we a better team and a better squad um so it's great to have seen that and I think that in itself that mental boost the um just the, the natural bonus that that has provided and and of course the victory in itself and I think even more importantly perhaps the stage of this in this season following that Monaco loss and we saw it on Twitter especially sort of with you Elliot to
1: be honest um well I mean it it, it, I I will fully admit
4: I lost
1: (laughs) my mind over that Monaco game completely it,
4: it hit people extremely hard and don't take me wrong it hit me hard as well but you know we constantly find ourselves at moments in a, in these last couple of seasons where there's a very fine line there's everything is held in the balance where if one thing goes a little bit wrong you just get the sense that the entire that a large portion of the fan base is going to get very vitriolic
1: but but can I, I felt... can I just address that just really really quickly James I'll I'll give it right back to you but that's not something that happened overnight that pressure that valve has not been released in a long time I mean that is the the end result of disappointments, poor big game results, lack of progress for many, many years. I mean, you know, that would not have been the case in 2005 or 2006 or even 2007 or even 2008 and probably not 2009. But, you know, by 2012 and 2013 and 2014 and last year with the 5-0 and 6-0 and 6-3 and 3-0 to Everton, and you know, I mean, And, and, you know, failing the top weak groups in the Champions League and the performance against Anderlecht at home and what we did to Monaco in the context of finally a chance to improve in Europe against an understrength squad, it just started to feel to me like the squad is getting better, but what he's doing with the squad is getting worse or at very least not progressing. So, you know, I, I, I wasn't a raving lunatic Every year for the past nine years i've only become a raving lunatic in the recent past. you know it's a build up towards raving lunacy
4: right, and listen, I completely get all that, and I agree with about ninety five percent of what you said. The one bit where I disagree, and that's just fundamentally where why I still back the manager entirely mm-hmm. is that i I do see progress and i i mean and listen this is probably a discussion for another time because it it involves a a whole cohort of things, but I do see very gradual progress, and i fear or I believe that fans that we are um we tend to i don't know i think our certainly our interpretations of change or the or our interpretations of of the kind of quoting quote unquote progress that we expect the team to make are very different in my eyes, taking a club out of this like nine year period or ten year cycle. Of this, you know, a club that we can talk about all the, you know, being financially hampered, da-da-da-da, and all this, like, mental psyche and e- everything that that's created for this club. And I would, you know, I've gone so far, and I've mentioned it with, between the two of you, that we've always, at the very least, reached par for the course. I don't think we've ever truly failed under Wenger. Um, no, and, that- and
1: by the way, and- I agree. He is the master of stasis. He is the master of delivering uh, uh, the status quo and a relatively high status quo. Uh, but but as as fans of any sport status quo becomes has diminishing returns in terms of the excitement and joy it can deliver getting blown out by your rivals and getting knocked out disappointingly in the first hurdle of the Champions League knockout rounds is a very high you know in finishing fourth is a high status quo but it is going to have diminishing returns in terms of the the joy and entertainment value it delivers
4: oh without without any doubt 100% um, but obviously, if if we can you know take a step back for for a second and to a degree perhaps agree that um, over that period of time, in that Arsene Wenger hasn't truly failed. But if you can accept the fact that we're expected to come forth and that the large majority of managers would have done so, and I would even of of the, these like managers that we throw up in the air, there's I, I would say there's a higher chance of any. New manager, like whatever type of strong manager we could bring in, there's a higher chance that they would have done worse than Wenger. Um, then, then there was a chance of them having succeeded as consistently as Wenger, and also gone on to to bring more trophies and create more long term and success and longevity for this club. Because ultimately, the the biggest goal has got to be the success of the the long term success. Of of this club, like five years down the line, ten years down the line, and I think that's where we've truly succeeded. But I think if you if you can accept that that there to a certain degree has been a level of success with that type of success, which is coming forth, and I know it's difficult to say this as an Arsenal fan. I know that you know uh, se- se- fourth isn't a trophy, and like yes, okay, we, we as a as an institution and club shouldn't be celebrating this whole coming forth. But ultimately, through virtue of getting there, that, especially in a game like football, footballers as unpredictable as it is and and as sort of unrelenting as it is, there's going to be several different ways in which your failures are going to come about in that I know that there are certain aspects of the way in which Wenger has done things and it's very, obviously, there's a stale component, a very repetitive component to it over the years, um, especially, for example, the way in which we lost big games away from home last year. Um, you know, perhaps... The repeated, you know, just beating the smaller teams, but constantly losing to the bigger teams, and the naivety of, of, of maybe of, I don't know, this like bringing, like having a load of players charging forward against United at home and Monaco at home, and and our, our failures in in the Champions League, this this consistent sort of drumming home of, you know, it's it's the, it's this groundhog day, constantly repeating itself. But I think any of these types of failures would have taken place with any type of manager, not not these specific types of failures, but there would have been. You know, other managers, the way in which they would have set up a team that is that probably has the expectation of coming forth and not beating a Bar- the Barcelona's and the Bayern Munich's and the AC Milan's, or or being less likely to in these um, in these competitions would have you know would have also had other. Maybe they would have had Bradford at home <laughs> losses in the FA Cup. I don't know, but they they would still have been. And we we've had our Blackburns and our Bradfords. Don't take me wrong, but these things are likely to happen just based on the you know on probability over the course of a long tenure, you're going to have damning results. And unfortunately you're going to be less willing to accept them under a period of stasis and during a period of, of so-called staleness. And frankly, the reason why I'm more positive about, especially coming out of perhaps this United game or the season in general is the progress I see is, is a restricting those big losses that hit me hard last season, like that Chelsea away game in particular, that, that really struck home. I don't, it's not that I, uh... yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, keep um, it. yep. mm-hmm. It's not that I, um, it's not that I can accept losing at Stanford bridge and such, but if you can, if you come, if you go to Stanford bridge and you put in a certain performance and you, you know, you at least play to the best of your capabilities, you can accept to a certain degree that you're playing your side. That's probably better than yourselves. Right. And the way, like the way in which we ended up losing last season, that, those were th- those were extremely damning defeats. There's no denying that. Um, but I, I've seen progress in that regard. I think also mm-hmm. the way in which a, a squad has changed, the way in which the shape of a team changes, is very gradual. It's very difficult for us as fans to to take pers um, perspective on it because I feel we we're always demanding short-term results. Where you know we we, talk, yeah. we take a very short-term um, outlook on things. We look at very small sample sizes. Like even you know, in doing this podcast, we look at matches and we try and glean certain aspects of the squad and, and certain directions or corners that we're turning or or, play, or you know directions that we're moving as a team and as a squad. And it's not it's not as simple as that because it's it's a very complicated setup. It's you know running a football team is a lot lot more difficult than no, we can I, ever I, I, ever I truly appreciate. I understand. But that. anyway, I think yeah. going back to my original point, the the, the big key for me for this game was I did feel it was another one of those games where if we did get knocked out, which was a high chance, given we were at old Trafford and it wouldn 't necessarily have been down to the tactics being you know having been wrong or the performance not necessarily of being up to scratch or whatever it was um, but you know there was a, I think there was a big chance if we got knocked out last night, there would have been a huge a huge amount of disappointment, especially so soon after that Monaco game, and for me, that was one of the biggest um Biggest reliefs um, and and sort of biggest contributions to the the ecstasy that was that was involved in that game, and I think that will definitely give the supporters, the manager, and and certainly the players, an enormous enormous boost.
1: Yeah, look, <laughs> there, there's a lot there that I want to respond to. I want to bring Paul back in though, and 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 then I'm I'm going to give you my my three quick thoughts on that, Paul. Um, you know, it it's it's now another genuine chance for a trophy. Um, and you know, I don't. I don't want to sell short the other teams that are still participating, especially um, in Liverpool, obviously, who, who would be a big challenge. But do you feel that if we co- do get knocked out by Monaco, do come fourth in the league, or you know, third, fourth, something thereabouts, and win the FA Cup, do you think that there's there's a chance that that may not be received with the same euphoria that it was last season? Do you think? we're still excited enough for any trophy we can get? I mean, the FA Cup is a big, big trophy. Do you think that will still be seen as a very successful season?
5: Um, I think it will be received with a little less euphoria, but maybe a little bit more confidence, given that along the way we beat City, we beat United. Uh, You know, I disagree maybe a little bit that... I do think a corner was potential, very potentially turned in this United game for this season and going forward. I think it's a huge, huge deal, and I think it will be a, a great salve to those, uh, the disaffected, who weren't necessar- who didn't necessarily think that an FA Cup was, in the end, a, a cure-all right, or
1: absolutely.
5: getting fourth, yeah, or getting fourth again, you know. You mentioned QPI. You know, I get all that. I, I I share that frustration. I was nuts after the the Monaco result. I think we all were. Uh, you know, maybe my only slight difference was I just slightly more hopeful that Wenger did have what it take, what it took to get us there. For no, with no more facts than anybody else, just crossing my fingers a little harder mm-hmm. that. He's too smart not to get us there. Based on what? Based on, you know, we all have our prejudice, biases, and, and emotions. And I I have always felt he'd find a way or he wouldn't still be here. That's my prejudice. So uh, I think it was huge yesterday. I think uh, winning the F uh, you know, looking at the FA Cup, the way I keep my feelings in check is to say, You know, we probably got a 75% chance of winning the semis against Bradford Reading, and it's 50-50 in the final. So we have a good chance, but it's still less than 50-50 when you multiply up those odds. So stay in calm. I see progress, whatever happens this year. I think we all saw it in the squad, in the performances in general. We needed to see it against the bigger teams.
1: I think in light of how we played against Wigan last season, you can't just put us through to the final. But let's do it for a second and say we're in the final. The reason I think this result was huge for the fans more than anyone, first of all, we haven't won at Old Trafford in nine years. The players have changed. The fuck do they care about nine years? The manager (laughs) obviously has the, the calm and the vision to not think about things in that way. But the fans do think about it in that way. And we needed this. But also, if we had lost... And assuming we crash out to Monaco, it would be another three-month end-of-the-season slog to just dragging our way over the fourth-place line. And I think we've had too many of those seasons, and they they wind up devolving into a lot of misery and argumentativeness you know, a- along the way. This means that if we make it to the final, our season continues into May with something serious to play for, with the possibility of a trophy. And that is... So important for the supporters to not have this just boil down to 10 more games to come forth. So I think for the supporters, it's crucial. I want to quickly respond to to James to, to what you said on a couple of points. I think the problem with stasis is that stasis is boring. So if you said to supporters, for the next 10 years, we will always finish fourth while never challenging for the title. We will always get knocked out in the first round of the Champions League. And we will always win the FA Cup every single year. That's 10 trophies in a row, 10 FA Cups in a row. I wouldn't sign up for that deal because the simple fact of there not being an upside, not being a chance to hope for a title, not being the excitement of getting a little deeper in the Champions League and having visions of hoisting that big-eared trophy that's eluded us, it wouldn't be fun. Eventually, in sport, stasis stops being fun unless that stasis is you know, existing at the absolute pinnacle of the sport. So I think Wenger is a bit of a victim of his own Um, stability, of his own continuity, and the fact that these seasons have felt very familiar, even if they have been at a fairly high level. The other thing I will say about Monaco, the reason it hurt me is if we had played out a nil-nil for 89 minutes and they had scored off a jammy bundled-in header from from a corner kick in the 90th, I would have said you know what, that sucks, we underperformed but we can go to monaco and turn this around and you know what they're a good defensive team that can happen. The reason I was furious about monaco was not just the loss. It was the na- the naive way we played, the careless and reckless way we played, looking like a team that's never been in europe before, not realizing this is two legs, 180 minutes. It was everything about that game and that you know I I think ultimately that comes from the manager because he instructs the players on how to play and he should his ethos, his mindset, his discipline should permeate the entire playing staff. So that's why Monaco hit me hard. Not the disappointment of losing, but losing in such a childish manner um, with two legs to play for. Um, you know, and and the comments of the manager a- afterwards basically saying, I don't know why we played that way. We were naive. I don't know why we were defending that way. That's That's not really permissible for me. So that's why I was hit hard. That's why it hurt me so badly. And that's why I was frustrated because to me, the squad is getting better that team with Alexis and Kazorla and, you know, uh, uh, Giroud in great form and, and Mesut Ozil, gosh, I that is a team that, that should go and rip Monaco to shreds at home and not play like, you know, school children. So... I don't want to make this negative because ultimately my feelings today are extremely positive. I feel more bullish on the manager than I have in a long time. I feel excited about our run into the season now because even if Monaco goes badly, we have silverware still to play for. Um, we could have a famous final against Liverpool, which while it would be difficult, would be so exciting, uh, you know, on the the final game of our season. Um, and, and the FA Cup was so, so enjoyable last year. I would enjoy it and... and you know suck all of the juices out of it again this season. So it was it was a huge result for us and we're we're ticking over towards an hour. We've had some internet problems. We've made our way through. I feel a little bit like Arsenal yesterday. We've we've shown great quality and mental strength to get through to this point. Um so let's let's wrap up with just some some quick final thoughts. Paul from from your end personally, how much did this win mean to you and how much does this how much does this impact the excitement with which you will look at the next two and a half months of this season? That sorry, that's for Paul. Hello, Paul. I praise our mental strength and our internet connectivity. And at the final whistle, we blow it. This feels a little bit like the no, third no. no goal. I'm here. Oh, he's here. I'm here. All right, it felt a little bit yeah. like Monaco's third goal for a minute. Um Okay, so on a personal level, how much did it mean to you yesterday and how much does it impact the way you're looking forward to the to the run into the rest of the season?
5: All is changed, changed utterly, a terrible beauty is born. Wonderful. Yeah, but besides that, no, I thought it was I thought it was a huge hugely significant huge game. I think it changes everything in the rest of the season. I think it changes our run in, confidence levels. I think it Changes the Monaco tie. Uh, We've got the FA Cup. I think it changes how we go into the summer. I think it changes how we go into next season. I think it changes how Mesut Ozil feels about this team, now two years into it. How Alexis Sanchez feels about this coming up to the end of that year. It changes it for Danny Welbeck. It changes it for Francis Coquelin. You can go down the list. I think this was huge. It changes it for how Arsene Wenger feels about uh, his pragmat, the interplay, uh, you know, yesterday was a really interesting balance of playing really good football with pragma- pragmatism. How we how we went out to play, how we played, how we made our substitutions, how we ended up the game. It wasn't, you know, we've won other games where it's this crazy flurry at the end. Well, we managed this game the whole way through. I, I just think potentially you, you can't live off this. Potentially you can build and keep topping this up with better and better performance and growth. So, you know, I got my fingers crossed that this was as big as it feels.
1: Yeah, and and, and the reality is, look at what it changes now. I mean, let's say we draw to West Ham at home this weekend. It'll suck. It'll feel bad. We'll bitch and moan. We'll be annoyed. But top four is still possible. We can still get there. But the difference is we'll know we've got a Wembley semi-final on the horizon and potentially a final after that. And so there's still a reason to look forward to this season and, and what it holds, and, and there's still mystery to this season. And, you know, there's just so much to be happy about now, not to mention the win itself. So, uh, James, final thoughts for you personally. How much did you enjoy this victory? And, I, you know, I know you tend to be, as you've mentioned, pretty optimistic and upbeat to begin with, but how much did does this influence your enthusiasm for a season let's face it this season from champions league group phase to champions league knockout round to a lot of the big games city aside to league position to just general performances it hasn't been my favorite season i think for a lot of people they'd say that this can now become a famous season i mean how much did this how much did this change for you in terms of just what how how you enjoyed it on the day and and how you're looking forward now to the end of the season.
4: I mean, this game was huge for me. I, I, I haven't felt that sort of amount of ecstasy. I felt, you know, it was, it was slightly more pronounced for the, during the FA cup win, but certainly biggest win this season. It's the, the best I felt for a long, long time. Um, and it's a testament to how great it can be to support a football club. When, when you get, when you have victories like that, and it's, it's why we we're so disappointed when when they're almost taken away from us quite so consistently um, in the past against the big sides. But it's it's huge. A, it's huge because like like we've talked about it, it. Just there's there's so much more breathing room now for the fans. And like you said, of course, I generally come across as the optimist, and I do try to be o- optimistic. I hope within reason. Um, but it's mostly to do with the s- long term status of the manager, cause I. I certainly don't see him leaving over the next 2 years. I certainly don't want him to leave over the next 2 years even if we'd gone on and lost last night. But that being said, I have been pretty disappointed with the season. Um not so much in the Premier League. I I, I think we are where I would pretty much have expected us to be at this stage, but I was I was, you know, just as disappointed as you honestly about the the Monaco defeat at home. I really love the Champions League. The Champions League is my favorite competition. <laughs> um it's my favorite competition because we've never won it. Um, and there's the excitement, there's the, the aura of the champions league playing all the biggest European sides, the home and the away tie and going, you know, you know, being able to play teams that we just, you know, norm- otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity of playing against. Um, and so I was, I was su- supremely downbeat and I didn't, I, I would have deemed the season without, you know, even if, if, I mean, if we now don't go on and win the FA cup, you know, if we get to the FA cup final, maybe there's arguments, but even still, if we, don't win the FA Cup, but get knocked out of the last sixteen of, champion, of the Champions League. I'd still, perhaps to a certain degree, um, but certainly if we got knocked out last night, would, the season without any doubt for me would have been a failure. I mean, I would I would have definitely qualified that by saying that in any knockout competition, there, you know, there are small things that can that can change, um, that can change any tie or any um, any like position you stand that you stand in 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 a uh, in, in a knockout competition, relative to say a Premier League, where it's 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 a marathon, it's a, I think it's yeah. a true testament of the strength of a squad. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 absolutely massive for the club, and I think it's perhaps I think it's it, it's a lot bigger for the people that were that have been having the, you know and probably still do have serious doubts about the um, about Wenger and and where the club stands because I think frankly. With the knowledge that whatever ha- whatever happens at this stage or whatever ha- whatever had happened last night, I just really there's there's no scenario I could could have envisaged in which Venga leaves in the summer, and I just think the entire period leading from now until then would have just been a constant sort of almost warfare on on social media and amongst mm-hmm. fans, et cetera. I just don't think the atmosphere of the club would have been great, which is you know naturally that's going to have a Um, a negative impact on all of us Um, and frankly perhaps even more importantly is we finally beat United at Old Trafford yeah we finally got that bloody monkey off our back nine years (laughs) I, I hate United um and boy does it feel good I mean I listen I I don't think I I do agree with Paul to a certain degree about you know it changes the way that Alexis and certain players perhaps now feel about the club and maybe you know, I think especially like to a certain degree in Oxlade-Chamberlain who you can see as you know he's the one player that I think when you read about him who puts a lot of time into learning a lot about the club apparently he was the only player that went to the Invincibles um, screening etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, things like I you know things like these moments for them are huge but I don't think I don't think you can necessarily refer to it as, as change and I, th- I think Paul pretty much said this anyway. Until you build upon this, until you look back on the season and you say, "Well, you know, given X success or given like the continued run of form from that point on, and the continued ability to pick up three points against the, um, the lower opposition, and um, uh, you know, ability to hopefully get to the FA Cup final," that's when you can say that that game, that game was the uh, a, a pivotal game and, um, and and a game that perhaps um had a a huge bearing on, on on the way in which the club can now move forward because i think you know we keep looking for this sign of progress and i think that you, you you can now look to this as 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 your case in point of perhaps this is where progress has been made we finally you know nine years it's taken us to, yeah. to win at old trafford yeah we keep talking about you know not winning away from home against the big sides and now you don't just look at Man City in isolation. Perhaps if that was the only one, then you could say, well, you know, City were in a bad run of form. But now if you look at, if you've beaten City away from home, a team that we've we struggled with consistently um, over the last few years, and you've beaten United, the two put together as well, you know, they, they almost compound upon each other. Um, and so there's, you know, I think there's a lot more reason for for us to be optimistic and have a lot of, you know, positive energy towards this team. And it, it's a great team to, to now be getting behind because it's, um, as we keep saying the squad is strong and, and now slow, slowly but surely if we can see the performance consistently um, put out there on the pitch then I think there's a um, there's a lot of hope to be had
1: yeah I, I mean uh I'm certainly willing to be optimistic, at least for the next 10 minutes. Um, I, You know, I, I think there's a lot of other things we could go into. Chesney's performance in, in his return to the number one position, but we'll have plenty of time to discuss things after the West Ham match. Hopefully it'll be a nice uneventful win, and we can cover some of the topics that maybe we didn't get to today. I think we got a little more philosophical than maybe I had intended, but I think it's moments like this that raise these debates because – Apart from Ramsey's winning goal in the FA Cup last year, FA Cup final, I don't know that the managers had a more important goal scored for him than Welbeck's goal in the past nine years. Uh, if we had lost mm-hmm. yesterday, I think where we would be today versus where we are now is is immeasurably different. So it's great. It's something we should celebrate. It's something that I, I know I am celebrating and has reinvigorated my enthusiasm for this season and who knows, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, Paul will be right and, and something miraculous will happen in Monaco. We won't count on it, but we'll certainly leave the possibility out there. Um, in the meantime, we're going to knock it on the head and call it a day and come back this weekend after the West Ham match. But before we do that, we'll say goodbye to our lovely guests, who are not really guests, they're just fixtures, they're regulars, they're family. Uh, James, you can find him, Fanatic 49 and I certainly encourage you to follow him on Twitter. James, as always, it's a pleasure.
4: Pleasure, really. Thank you.
1: And, of course, the man with the phenomenal insight but dodgy internet. His name is Paul. You can follow him on Twitter, at pants, And, uh, Paul, as ever, it was a delight speaking with you.
0: Woohoo! hoo Yes,
1: that, with gusto. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. I am Yankee Gunner on Twitter. You can follow me there or unfollow me, block me, abuse me. Preferably not the latter. Never understood the abuse thing. You know, it's like you don't have to follow me. It's just easier. Um, But if I get retweeted on your timeline, then abuse the shit out of me. I deserve it. Anyway, um, up the Arsenal. Great victory. Very, very happy. Hope you're enjoying it wherever you are. Raise a glass, toast the team, and onward to victory at the weekend. Until then, uh, this is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.
0: ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. In the latest episode of History This Week, we take a closer look at a failed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in 1861, when the nation was on the cusp of a civil war. Nearly 160 years later, what can we learn from this moment when democracy was challenged? And check out all our episodes this month as History This Week celebrates Black History Month. Last week, we covered the Greensboro sit-ins that sparked a media firestorm and inspired mass sit-ins across the country. Next week, we travel to Australia and witness Sydney students taking a freedom ride of their own for Aboriginal civil rights. After that, we'll be exploring the origins of jazz. For these stories and more, subscribe to History This Week wherever you listen to podcasts.